0: Accelerate your career today with a master's degree in sports product management from the University of Oregon. In this program, you will learn the business of creating sports and outdoor apparel, footwear, and equipment. You'll work with a team to develop product in our on site innovation lab in Portland, Oregon, or in your own home. Network with leaders from the industry through your mentor, instructors, guest speakers, and alumni, and gain hands-on industry experience during the Summer Immersion Experience, where you work for sports and outdoor brands and manufacturers domestically or internationally. You can gain your master's in sports product management in as little as 18 months on-site in Portland, Oregon, or in 21 months online from anywhere. This is your chance to join 96% of our alumni currently working in the sports and outdoor product industry. Visit spm.uoregon.edu to accelerate your career today.
1: When I was a startup, like I was looking for who's going to grind the hardest, who who is really passionate about this thing and like that formula worked over and over again. More recently as we've grown from kind of true startup. It's changed to now we are looking more for, for specialists of knowing sports or knowing this industry isn't good enough anymore. Now you've, you've got to have some kind of expertise. Like you're really good at, at paid social. Like that's like, if you're really good at that and you love sports and you love fantasy sports, that's a huge win. This is the work in sports podcast.
0: Here's VP of content and engage learning at workinsports.com. Brian Clapp know that fantasy sports has existed since the 1960s? I did not. That was new information to me. I feel like I've been around fantasy sports a long time, and I had no idea that it actually started in the 1960s. I thought Matthew Berry started it in the 80s. That's kind of a joke. Okay, so how did it start? This is stolen straight from research. In a New York City hotel room, during a 1962 Raiders cross-country trip, Wilfred, quote, Bill Wickenbach, that's a rough name, Wilfred Wickenbach, an Oakland, California businessman and limited partner in the Oakland Raiders, along with the Raiders public relations employee, Bill Tunnell, and Oakland Tribune reporter, Scotty Sterling, developed the rules that would eventually be the basis of modern fantasy football. I find this fascinating. The inaugural league was called the Greater Oakland Professional Pigskin Prognosticators League, G-O-P-P-P-L, which is a terrible name. Nowhere near as good as Brady Gaga, Hit Me With Your Prescott, Sherlock Mahomes, or Bed, Bath, and Bijan. If nothing else, over the last 60 years, we've become way more creative. I think we can lean into that a lot. The internet helped out this whole fantasy concept. I think we can all agree it's better to conduct and manage this process online than in some conference room in Oakland. And now we have 62.5 million Americans playing fantasy sports. 62.5 million Americans. Put that in perspective for a second. That's nuts. Okay. So with so many fans playing fantasy sports, that means there is a corresponding need for people to work in fantasy sports, which is our happy place to talk about jobs in the sports industry and opportunities there for all of you. The number of people with fantasy sports jobs increased to 6.8% from 2018 to 2022. And the industry is expected to be worth 38.6 billion by 2025. Lots of research went into this intro. I Hope you guys are all feeling good about that. A lot, of, a lot of good stuff I'm throwing out here, a lot of nuggets. Uh, Wilfred Wickenbach is my personal favorite part of this, though. Okay, so. Fantasy sports, we know it's successful. There's great opportunities there to work in this field, and there's cool names that you can create. There's also been spinoffs like daily fantasy sports. Why wait for a whole season for a payout to brag with your friends to talk a lot of trash when you can win and get payouts daily, which is genius? Today's guest on the Work in Sports podcast is Prize Picks Senior VP of Revenue, Dylan Cooper, one of those daily fantasy sports companies, our personal favorite here at the Work in Sports podcast. And Dylan enjoys a front row seat to the fantasy sports industry's explosive growth. And we're going to get into his journey, his path in fantasy sports, what it's like working on the revenue side and the opportunities that are ahead for daily fantasy sports. So buckle up and enjoy this full episode with Dylan Cooper. Hey, Dylan. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a cool conversation to dive into. We've done some in the daily fantasy sports world um, and you have a really interesting career path and a lot of you've experienced. So it's fun to dive into this. I know this is an area that really interests a lot of our audience. So we'll start out with this fantasy sports been around for a long time. A lot of us have spent a lot of our time doing fantasy sports. The daily fantasy sports wrinkle kind of came in around two thousand and seven, and that's an angle you followed for a lot of your career. Why did this part of the sports industry appeal to you? What is drawing you to this industry, and what do you love about it?
1: Yeah, great uh, question i I always grew up just loving sports. I would watch every single Braves game when I was a kid, um and I would keep stats on like like a piece of paper of every single hit, home runs, out, stolen base. Love I love that. I had all, at every game and at home, I'd watch every single game, and I have those charts of every single um, stat for an entire season back in like 2005, 2004 um, when I was a kid. But I, I took that that passion um, and knowledge that, that I had for sports and stats and, and kind of combined it all. Um, overtime growing up, I played season-long fantasy first, tried out the ESPN stuff, the CBS, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, fantasy basketball. And it's just it's just so much fun. So I got really into it when I was able to legally play uh, DFS. I found Fanduel um, and DraftKings, which are, are kind of the two big salary cap games. And I got really really into it. I was playing every single night. I was on Twitter following all of the all of the main um, personalities in the, in the industry. I was in the threads on the forums. Proto <laughs> grinders forums, kind of all the all the really like niche things. I was just all in on it. So when opportunity for me to work in this industry popped up, which I can get on later in the show, um, I jumped at it. It was kind of a dream job, not something I ever thought I would I would really work in, but uh, worked out really well. And this is has always been my major, major passion.
0: Yeah, it totally aligns. I think so many people that I interview on this show, like they have that that background of, of loving sports, wanting to be involved in it, really investing in the time and the passion of it. So it, it totally makes sense. We had Nigel Eccles on the show a while back who founded FanDuel. And just hearing that, that entrepreneurial spirit and that thought process into to launching some of these products is, is so fascinating to me. Um, and, and I'm curious about how your early part of your you know college career lines up with where you are now. So you've been, you went to Georgia Tech, You studied um, business administration and IT management systems, right? Uh, When you first got into college, because I think a lot, this is something our students, our listeners deal with a lot, is the vision they have for themselves when they're first starting out. When you first got into college and you were a freshman and you're pursuing these goals, how do you think that all meshes and contributes to where where you are now?
1: Yeah, that's a question I get a lot. So, you, so you can legally start playing DFS when you're 18 um, in a lot of the states on FanDuel, DraftKings, others. So I started playing when I was in high school, senior, um, and got really into it. As I said, in college, same thing, freshman year. And I'm probably not the best example of this. Like I kind of, um, I didn't work as hard as I should have and in, in, could have in classes. Um, I like that honesty. And I, and I, I, <laughs> great job. <laughs> I did pretty well in school. I was always able to kind of figure out um, how to make good grades on tests and on on projects without doing too much work. But I was always just very, very focused, kind of laser focused on this and not even thinking about it as a job. Like When I was a freshman, I was like, I'm in Atlanta uh, and a lot of people work at NCR or at Coke or Home Depot, all these kind of big companies in the Atlanta area that was where my head was. I was consulting or working at one of those companies. And I even applied for, for internships over the next couple of years at Coke, at those places and even got some of them. But um, my head was always like fully passionate about DFS and the sports betting space and just kind of that whole ecosystem. And I was spending 12 plus hours a day thinking about that um, at that time. And that was like, not even on purpose. It was like, I, I wasn't trying to angle myself towards any career path. I was just like, yeah, that bought in and like, just what you loved. Yeah. It almost as the word to the industry and to, not to play in the game, but just to like the industry and the whole thing. And I, I just spent so much time doing that.
0: There's a bit of a startup feel to your career too. I think in the sports world, we, we so often think about the professional sports teams that have been established for a really long time, long running agencies, uh, you know, uh, Olympic organizations; these are long-standing businesses. College athletic programs; these are long-standing businesses. But you've got Sports Grid, Daily Roto, uh, which was founded in thir- twenty thirteen. You joined in twenty fifteen. Prize Picks, founded in 20- October twenty seventeen. March twenty eighteen is when you joined. Like you're you're in on these early cusp businesses. What has that been like being on the ground floor of some of these ventures and really diving into this more of a startup culture?
1: Yeah, and no, I I have a lot of friends, and a lot of people that ask me how do I get into sports, how do I get into this industry, it's really hard. Like if you, if you're going to go the route of work at a sports team, work for the Braves or the Falcons or something like it's doable, but you're going up against the other 10,000 people in Atlanta that are also Lifeline Braves fans and also Lifeline Falcons fans. And it's just going to be harder, um, to get to where you want to go at the end of the day. Um, I didn't learn that the hard, I just kind of like fell into where I fell into because I was just so laser focused on this industry. Um, with Daily Roto. So that was a a part-time role and it it just follows the passion that I had for DFS. I was already playing, I was already following all the news and stuff. So right when they launched, they were looking for writers and I was like, oh my God, I can get paid to write. And I wrote them a long email um, about all all the different things that I had done and that I knew and all this stuff. And think it stood out like like they could just see the passion that that it's hard to fake that. It's hard to, hard to fake a true passion point like that. Um, and I ended up writing for them, just writing articles and, and doing content for them for, I don't know, four or five years. And um, I, it, it wasn't the highest paying job. Like I, I was in college and paid maybe $20 an article or an hour or something like that. I don't even remember. But <laughs> I was able to work with some of the smartest people in the sports predictions industry. Drew Dinkmeyer, Mike Leone, Galen uh, uh, Galen Dragiev, some like really, really sharp guys that I was able to just be in a Slack channel, pick their brain, learn a lot from, and eventually help them on certain things that that just like really, really prep me for the future. Um, And that led me to having a lot of skill that when pricepiece came around I was able to provide a lot of value for them. Yeah, so when you look back
0: at that phase, how did that how did that, you know, you, we always talk about green, grabbing experience wherever you can, getting your name out there, building your personal brand. It sounds like when you get into this world, this subset, like once you start to get in there and start to know the right people, is that is that like the avenue to start growing within this Sphere of the sports industry is like it's a it's a small community, and the more you can get known and and be present and put a name associated with your content and other activities, is that that key to kind of breaking in there?
1: Yeah, well, I actually didn't create that much of a name for myself. I think I just learned a ton of knowledge. Like I think the true way, because I again I get hit up all the time, people asking for jobs, asking for this, but when you do have something to bring to them, it's that much more meaningful when you say like I've had a couple in my career or t- where someone LinkedIn DMs me and says, I can solve this problem for you. I know you're having this problem. Hire me for, to solve this. And I've hired those people. I can think of two really major ones off the top of my head that have been the, two of the best hires I've made. So it's really about like figuring out a way to create skills that you think are going to be really valuable to solving problems. And this is more of a startup thing. I, like, I, like I have a background in startups, like, like you said. At a big company, it's it's completely different. But at, at a startup, like everyone is just trying to fend for themselves and solve problems and not spend a bunch of money. So it's a great place if you're sixteen to thirty, um, looking to break into the industry, kind of not expecting that major salary in the first year or two of a, of a startup. If you can provide real value, they will listen to you and they will hire you. But if you're just oh, I'm a sports fan or I like sports betting or fantasy sports. There's a hundred. There's hundreds of those people. Thousands of those people. You have to have more than that. All right.
0: I, I love this. This is a fantastic strategy. So let's dig in a little deeper. So you're saying you've had people reach out to you, just slide into your LinkedIn DMs and say, "I know you have this problem, and I have a solution for it." Like that's that's how aggressive that they're approaching. It's not just like I'm going to email in my resume. Like they're coming right at an issue and a solution. And that 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 stood out to you. Is that is that right?
1: Uh, there's one specific example that that I remember. Um, this was a couple of years ago. We had grown a lot of prize picks um, that year, but our customer support was kind of like just getting overblown because we had now had thousands and thousands of customers. We before it only had hundreds of customers. We'd grown a lot in the last six months for football season and had some had some good marketing spend going. And I got just kind of a DM from somebody. It's like. I work somewhere else in the industry. Um, I can tell that y'all's support is overblown. I can fix it. This is how I'll fix it. Give me a chance. I love it. Um, And we talked to him. We had a couple interviews. And I was like, holy shit, this guy is going, like, he means what he says. He's pretty cocky that he's willing to write that and, like, say the problem and say that he's going to fix it. But he's confident and he has a solution. And we brought him in and he's been one of the best, if not the best hire that we've made um, over the last couple of years here. So after seeing that, um, that formula, I've just seen working. So I mean, sometimes you'll say that you have a problem and that might not actually be a problem. And maybe it's not the right fit for you, but yeah, um, I've seen that work.
0: I love that strategy and everybody listening like I'm not I don't think we're suggesting you go try to do that with the Boston Red Sox but I think I think this strategy like in the startup culture makes a lot of sense of being aggressive and and really stating with confidence where you can help because that is what if you reverse engineer this and you think of those of us that are employers we we have problems and things we need solutions for and we're when we're hiring somebody it's because somebody else left or we've identified something that needs to be solved if you can be a problem solver that is what we are looking for as a hiring class so great 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 advice there before we go much deeper into that side of things i'd love to get your take on prize picks and what makes you guys different better whatever however you want to articulate it in the dfs world and and why you have so much pride in what you all are creating there
1: yeah prize picks has been awesome i've been here almost six years now it's been a really, really great ride to go. I, I saw it in the ground level where we had ten customers a night um, on the app, and we were um, just getting off the ground. And then we we built it into the beast that it is today. We're I think right now, I can pull up my phone, probably number three in the app store in sports. Um, there's hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, players on the app, tweets, everything going around. Just there's lots of. Fun. So, what what PrizePix is and what makes it special. So, it um, it's it's a pick'em DFS um, style game right now. There's a lot more that's going to be coming up in the future, but it's a really really fun fun game, casual friendly, and really every every decision that we've made across PrizePix has been um, thinking about the casual sports fan first and what do they want to have in their experience. Again, I played. Vandal and DraftKings for a long time. It was great for me. I'm not necessarily a casual player. Like I said, I was spending 8 to 12 hours a day on that category. So I'm not really the target customer. But we really just put a lot of work into figuring out what is fun for the casual, We've built that game, um, and built a brand, very, very thoughtfully, marketing uh, brand, product, all around that concept. And from there, it's just really taken off and, and it's been a lot of fun to... See it grow through all the ups and downs. Well, it it
0: sounds like you have a lot of uh, partnerships too amongst the sports teams as well. So they're seeing the value in this product as well. And I've always felt like fantasy and and some other you know betting and others those bring in a lot. I mean, I can understand why the pro teams want to align themselves because you're you're widening the fan base. You're bringing in people who like the you know, a different angle of it rather than just the hardcore fan you're bringing in the casual fans. It's kind of like the whole thing going on right now with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, right? Taylor Swift is bringing in a whole new set of eyes to Kansas City football games and NFL in general. It's the same kind of concept, that daily fantasy, fantasy sports, all of this are bringing in more and more fans. What have those partnerships been like to know that you've got this approval stamp from, you know, some of these massive leagues like NASCAR and the Braves and others?
1: So funny enough, um, we are the the sponsor for Travis Kelsey's podcast, new heights. <laughs> but, See, I know, didn't even know that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great podcast. I mean, I like mine better, but there's, is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we were checking this morning just on the, on how that show did in terms of um, conversions and CPMs and all, all those kind of things. And, they had an awesome day yesterday, so it's been really—I bet, yeah—really <laughs> cool to see what the Taylor Swift effect has on sports and on business as well. It's been really cool,
0: but yeah, it's—we're looking for the Dylan Cooper effect on this show.
1: Yeah, not it might happen. It'll get like 200 views. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's been it's been awesome to work with the sports teams. Um, We've partnered with NASCAR, Braves, Falcons, Jaguars, uh, Marlins over the past couple of years. A bunch of other ones, Big Three, American Cornhole League, and it's really really great to have thoughtful partnerships with them where we're doing some kind of out-of-the-box stuff that's creative, that fits our brands. And and like you said, it's it's always awesome to have the stamp of approval of those big organizations. And it means a lot for social proof. Oh, for sure it does. And just overall credibility. So let's talk about
0: your kind of career arc while at PrizePix. You've been there for six years. You guys have racked up a lot of awards. I was just looking really quickly that you guys won the Inc. 5000, America's fastest growing private companies. Uh so that's back-to-back years in 2022 and 2023, fastest-growing sports company. Uh, these are huge honors. These are these are really nice indicators of how successful you are as an organization. You personally started as an analyst, head of ga- uh, head of game operations. Now you see oversee revenue. Now it feels like now you're you're lining up some of your your Georgia Tech school your classes that you didn't maybe put enough attention into into your your work life now right I mean the managing the revenue for a, a growing company like this that is on so many different fronts how did you manage that transition that seems like a, a pretty hefty leap from being diehard fan of DFS to now like senior director of revenue that's a big one
1: yeah um, it has been a fun ride I mean I think a lot of it is we started as a startup with three, four employees, and um, I, was, I was coming right out of school where I don't have any experience, so started off as an analyst. I think that's just kind of what, what I was qualified to do um, at the time, but I quickly, um, I think my passion for this industry and just knowledge of in and out, what works, what doesn't, what I'd seen in the past quickly was recognized by um, our CEO and co-founder Adam and CTO and co-founder Jay, who have been awesome mentors um, and really allowed me with not um, as much experience as as most people in this role to step up, lead, um, and take on more responsibility over the years. So I think really it's a testament to them of just trusting in me and allowing me to continue to step up and, and take on more and more. And um, what I've seen and what I really appreciate from them is as long as I perform, as long as my departments perform well, um, I keep getting recognized and moved up. And um, honestly, more most of that praise goes to them for, for trusting in somebody um, where this is their first job, their first real full-time job um, to take on those responsibilities and very confident that we're going to continue to, Successfully grow Prize Picks uh, and and execute it operationally well, and I appreciate their that their, their trust. I
0: misspoken there too. I said senior director, senior VP of revenue. So I don't want to I don't want to short your your title there. So that's that's always important to know. Senior right. VP of revenue. It's a big role. Uh, how much? You know, you think of. Those of us who are sports fans, and I, I like you, grew up like spending so much time in the box scores and calculating data points and just seeing, trying to get little angles and conversations or whatever it could be, the DFS side of things. I'm sure you were pouring through data and really dedicated to that, being a hardcore fan of this process. Again, being in in the on the revenue side of things for an organization, that is also is some hardcore data manipulation. Um, do those two things overlap, or are they completely different worlds? Do you feel like of just that having that sense for the for the data and the projections and how one thing influences another? Has that set the stage for you, or is it? Eh, it's kind of different.
1: Yeah. So, bringing up a really interesting story. So, if, um, when when COVID hit, Prize was around thirty employees at the time, but Um, our revenue went away overnight. Our revenue was fantasy sports on sports games. So in the NBA, the NFL, all those sports just overnight shut off. Um, We ended up having to lay off basically the entire staff back in Mm. 20, was that 2020 in March of 2020. Um, And it came down to the two co-founders, me and a couple of other um, employees that we kept around. Um, We didn't take a salary for, for a little while there as we just got back on our feet. But Coming out of of COVID or before COVID, I was just in that in that game operations role, which means it's what you're saying. It's the projections, it's the trading of projections, yeah. modeling all the actual sports games, and that's what I was an expert with, and that's what my main background was. But coming out of that, our team was very uh, very slashed. We we didn't have have the budget to afford a lot of the people that we had before. So Adam and Jay when one day called me and said, not only do you want to do the projections, but would you also want to own marketing? We think you have a good understanding of it. And then my first take was like, no, like I have zero <laughs> background. I, I like haven't, I did zero classes on marketing in school. I have no idea where to start, but their response was one, you know, the customer as well as anyone, but two, It's just a math problem at the end of the day. And I I had had this idea of marketing is like, no, it's like super creative. It's this and that, which, which it is. I've learned over time that that is really, really true. And and you have to have both, but it's a lot more math and data analytics than you think. Um, So so coming out of that, I led marketing um, and almost handed over the projection side to somebody else to run um, that was still on the team. And then over time, I've kind of merged the two into the revenue function, which which oversees marketing, yeah. kind of like the operations of the game, operations of support, all those kind of things tying into one.
0: Yeah, it's a big challenge. Good for you. Uh, so let's talk about that. Like when you're in a startup, you are in a COVID era where things go down to almost zero. You're totally dependent on the games; those aren't happening. You build back up. And now you're in, a, a, I would imagine, a massive growth cycle. And so you can't ever really get content with where you are. You always have to be thinking about what's next. At least that's the way I would interpret it from the outside. I imagine that's also your viewpoint. How do you continue to grow? How do you continue to stand out in this landscape, which is incredibly competitive?
1: Yeah. Um, One more funny story I just had on COVID uh, that I think is really cool to tell. Um, So as I said, we laid everyone off. We had no sports, no revenue. But first thing we we did was try to figure out what sports could we offer? Is there anything going on? Um, So one thing that we did do creatively was we partnered with the American Cornhole League. Um, They had matches on ESPN. They had people throwing cornhole bags in their their front lawns, and they had official scoring and tracking on it, and it was great. So that was one way that we um, were creative, and they've been awesome partners for us. We're still partnering with them today. That's cool. Um, The other really cool one was esports. We had – not really gone that far into esports, and that was the main thing that was still going. Like that was popping. That was like that blew up during that time. It sure did. So, I I actually went and said, I I don't know esports. I don't know how to create projections for esports. So I literally went through Twitter and just scrolled through stuff. I asked some friends that who might know him and who might know people. And ended up just Twitter DMing people that seemed like they knew esports and had some kind of a pulse in the fantasy world. Yeah. Um, and we found a great person to, to run our esports during that time. Um, but from there, esports really launched yeah. off from Prize Picks. as kind of a side thing, um, turned into a main thing really fast. And now is I think we're probably the biggest esports um, fantasy provider in in the country. Or wow, not the world. that's super cool. So is that the
0: a big growth channel for you then do you continue to lean into that or are there other avenues that you start to look into?
1: Yeah I mean e- e- eSports is always a great growth channel. Um, I think in general like, there's just so much more green space like yeah we've we've grown a lot, but there's it's a really casual friendly concept and just just continuing to create more and more casual friendly games and concepts and channels for people to go um, I think honestly using what's been tried to true and true thus far, there's plenty more room for us to keep going. And I think if anything, what we're looking for right now is it it, it is potentially adding more um, fantasy games to the, the app where it would allow for more different options for players to show off their their skill.
0: That's awesome. So, as a senior VP of, of revenue, you have a team, you have a team of staff and you hire and you're probably influential as a leader within the entire organization cross-functionally. And as, you man- as you mentioned, a lot of different groups that you manage from marketing to customer support, et cetera. Um, what are you looking for when you're looking to start hiring people, when you're looking to expand and to grow, you're going to get a lot of applicants. What stands out to you? What are those traits that you look for, those skills that you look for to stand out in this world?
1: Yeah, I I think it's changed over time. So we are. When I was a startup, we were like I was looking for who's going to grind the hardest, who's going to, who who is really passionate about this thing, and like that formula worked over and over again. That might just be a specific bias of me, but like that formula worked for so many hires. Who is really really laser focused, passionate on this, um, and gets the customer. That was like the year one, two, three of like those people will grind and work really hard to make this work. I think more recently as we've grown from kind of true startup to like we're kind of transitioning from startup to more operational phase, probably right in that in that middle sweet spot right there. It's it's changed to now we are looking more for for specialists of mm-hmm. knowing sports or knowing this industry isn't good enough anymore. Now you've you've got to have some kind of expertise. Like you're really good at at paid social. Like that's like if you're really good at that and you love sports and you love fantasy sports, that's a huge win. But um, stuff like that, stuff like um, offline media, same thing. That was a hire that we just made in the last year. That's yeah. like really good at, at, at buying TV spots, or someone that's an expert on on trading um, and has experience working for other places trading projections. Like that's somebody that in the past we were just looking for somebody with some experience. Like now we're looking for more of the experts and the like specific vertical lane experts. So yeah. over time it shifted towards that, but. I think if you don't have that experience, your, your, your best route is those early startups because we're truly looking for, for grinders that can solve eight different things for us and not just have one vertical lane of expertise. But if, you're, if you do have that lane or want to get to that lane, that's a great place to do um, a more experienced company.
0: That's great. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Dylan, I'm so appreciative of your time. We'll finish up with this. Mo- many of those who this show, as i as I mentioned before, tend to be in that eighteen to thirty year old range. They're trying to start their career, get their vision going for what they want for themselves. As you kind of look back at your own success and your own kind of growth pattern, it, it seems like there's this overarching principle of having a passion for something and following that. Um, is is that the suggestion you'd give to others who are listening, or are there some other metrics you'd look at, or some other processes you would look at in order to to break into this industry and really find that niche and find that fit?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a great question. It's it's a it's a hard thing because I think it's different for different people. Like again, if you do have that vertical expertise in one specific thing, um, whether it be analytics, like that's a, a big place. I think it's gonna. Explode and potential needs for jobs. Like, we're hiring so much of uh, people that have analytics prowess, can code Python, um, SQL, things like that. Um, we are working on some very ambitious projects that are taking years to, to work on, that we need tons of people to to help out there. And I think that's just going to be the future of all this stuff. Um, so, I'd say that that's a great thing where other vertical expertise is, is the way. And if if not that, if you're still in college or just out of college, like look around at startups. Like maybe there's something that you can give a startup. Most startups don't have a lot of money, yeah. and are looking for the shortcut where they can they can pay somebody a lot cheaper than they would pay a an, an expert in the role. So maybe that's where you find a solution. Is you're you're pretty good at something, you're passionate about it, you'll work harder than anybody else, and they aren't willing to pay up for. An expert in that, in that area, so maybe you can fill in that gap and kind of grow into that role and grow into other roles in the organization.
0: We talk all the time on this show about having the skills in your in your toolkit that match up with industry demand, and you just hit on it, too. If if you want to work in this world and where the opportunities are, and you're saying analytics and all the, I mean, it's like you said it, Python, SQL, R, you have to know those things. So if, if this is something that interests you, all the people in the audience, you have to match... The demands of the marketplace. Your skill set has to match those demands. And if the audience can say, I have these things that you need, you're gonna, your resume is gonna be taken a lot more seriously than just hiring somebody, especially in your phase right now, Dylan. Like before, I get it. You're taking those grinders, those hard workers. We can train them, we can work with them. As your growth cycle in, in, in increases, then it becomes you need to be able to come in, hit the ground running, do a certain thing for us. And then maybe expand in other things, but you got to have that skill set first on. So everybody listening, build up the skill set that matches the industry that you want, the part of the industry that you want to go into. Dylan, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for all this advice. Thanks for coming on and sharing more about Price Picks. Super enlightening, and I know our audience will really benefit from it.
1: Sounds like One thing I wanted to add real quick was yeah, dive in. Uh, of, of the three languages that you mentioned there, Python, I strongly, strongly suggest over the other two. Like I there would just really, really good at that one. Um, SQL is also helpful, but that's the one that, um, that, that we are looking.
0: We're going Python.
1: And I think in the industry in general, it seems to be moving in that direction. So if you're in in college looking to learn a language, that's the one I would focus on.
0: There you go. That's awesome advice. Thank you so much, Dylan. Great getting to meet you. Thanks for coming
1: on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This is Awesome. (laughs)
0: Thank you, Dylan, for coming on the show. I always love topics in fantasy sports because I am terrible at them. I have never been good at fantasy sports. I've always gone into leagues with people that don't work in the sports industry, and there's an expectation I'll do well. And I stink. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament. So uh, I don't know. There's a whole different set of skills that go in there. But the most important thing to pull from this for you is that there's a lot of opportunities to work in this side of the industry too. And it keeps growing and expanding. And there's tech opportunities and there's analysis opportunities and there's content opportunities. There's a lot you can do in fantasy sports. And it's a pretty cool industry, part of the industry to, to grow alongside of. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to Dylan for coming on. And we'll see you all next week.